0: Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Welcome back friends to this week's Flower Farmer Chat, which I am super stoked about. If you know me, there are a few flowers of my life that I will totally geek out about. I could have spent the entire like six hours with Casey talking about daffodils and narcissi. My eyes have been opened to this beautiful flower and the possibilities are endless. What I historically thought as a traditional ditch flower is no more. You get the beautiful colors, doubled, fluffy, and it comes at a time when we all need a handful of beautiful flowers. And as I've introduced them to my community, I am opening the eyes to the flower lovers of this little town that I live in here in Estacada. So I am stoked to share Casey with you. She has such a beautiful journey with her farm at Flowers at the Sea, and I hope you love this episode as much as I did. Welcome back, friends. On this week's Flower Farmer Chat, I've got Casey from Flowers at the Sea. She's in Monterey Bay, California. Welcome, <laughs> Casey, to the podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm Casey with Flowers. Flowers at the sea and I'm so excited to be here to talk to you about my flower journey and the things I've learned, the things that are amazing, some of the things that are hard, all of that and my you know what makes me unique in this flower world that is so large
0: and growing. Well thanks Casey for being here we just really appreciate you. So maybe get us started with telling us a little bit about your farm, the journey you've taken to this point in your flower farming journey, Tell us a little bit more about Flowers at the Sea.
1: Yeah, great. So, Flowers at the Sea, where do we start? Actually, the name was born when I was in college, and I studied biology and environmental studies uh, with an emphasis in plant science. I was doing California native floral bouquets and arrangements where I would forage native flowers and put them together in an arrangement and give a little excerpt with every bouquet about the native ecosystem and why those flowers were important to our local community and the natural habitat. So I was at that time really focused on conservation and that is where my background is. I worked as a conservation biologist prior to taking over the farm and so I have a lot of passion for that however, realize that that's not very scalable. And also you probably shouldn't forage too many flowers and since it was such a small, you know, niche thing it wasn't a big deal. But then I realized maybe this is not a scalable thing to do. And the course of Flowers at the Seed led me back to this farm that I have been working on since I was 18 years old. And it was one of my first jobs. I worked at this ranch with my mentor and really close friend. His name was Bill the Bull Baron. He was self proclaimed the bulb baron and he was the world's leading hybridizer of narcissus and daffodils he created about 60 different cultivars of different narcissus and daffodils which if you understand the life cycle of the daffodil family that is just an incredible feat it takes about five years to see the results of a hybrid um, because it take from seed it's five years to bloom so everything all of his hybrids he had to wait five years for to see the results and then If there was something that really stood out, he then had to separate that and create an individual cultivar. And then to get enough of that cultivar established in order to sell, reproduce, and all of that stuff is incredibly crazy. And to create 60 different ones, that's like unheard of. So I always joked around to him saying that he was like the Mendel of our time because just to have that kind of mindset set to go out there and pollinate every single day or not every single day but like during the pollinating season be out on the farm every single day to establish that many different cultivars is once in a lifetime sort of once in a millennia um it's pretty incredible and so he's world renowned in the Daftil society and i when he passed away me and one other farmer uh mountain oaks farm we ended up taking over the ranch and i lease a certain amount of acreage there we are still in a bit of a transition because when somebody passes away obviously things get a bit messy there's some disorganization and <laughs> (laughs) now we're sorting and trying to get an understanding of what is out there. Bill was also like as incredibly genius as he was. He was not the most organized person and so therefore getting into his creative brain and figuring out where everything was. I mean I worked with him for 10 years so I do have a good grasp of like the small little patches he put in different places and where things are at but like getting them into a space where like I could dig them up and sell them as varieties or I could then begin hybridizing myself Um, it's going to take a few years to get to that point when he passed away uh, he used to do just daffodils and narcissus and bulbs so with him passing I did not inherit nor did Jamie the other grower inherit any of the infrastructure to sell bulbs like the bulb digger and all of these things and so that means like for half of a year we are out of income or we should figure something else out to do so I decided to expand to all year round flower growing and with my limited knowledge of flowers uh, I wouldn't say flowers but production crop because I had a strong background in conservation biology and native plant restoration so I had done thousands of acres of restoration in the Santa Cruz mountains and things like that and taking care of lots of plants however I had never grown year round crops for production at market, I didn't quite understand, you know, the sales channels only from what Bill had shown me through Narcissus. So it was a trial by fire and it was really tough and rewarding and all of the emotions wrapped into it. I I say that like that period of my life was, you know, I was in, I was struggling with like the loss of one of my best friends. Friends and uh something that really saved me was being having my hands in the soil constantly grounding myself like having a goal for carrying on his legacy and being able to like cry in the field and like let it all out and like scream there's nobody around so it's like you know I really had the opportunity to grieve during that process, and I'm grateful for the opportunity of having worked with him for so long and being able to do that, and challenging myself to grow all year round. So where I'm at now, I am now an all year round grower. Um, we still have seasonal like highs and seasonal lows um, that we're working through the kinks of, and some years are better than others. Like this last year was a very challenging year because of the rain and you can control everything and do the same replicate what you did the year before where you had a really good year but something that as a flower grower we all know is that weather and sunlight and all of these things are so many things outside of our control and that is the humbling experience of being a flower farmer and being a farmer in general is that you really have to surrender and practice patience and understanding and so so many different like life skills we learn from flower growing besides just growing yeah so now both the Narcissus season, which I'm about to move into right now, we're we're hitting the fall. And that is when some of his first hybrids start, begin to bloom, which is incredible because as if you know, Narcissus and daffodils, typically they are in December, right? Uh, Some of the paper whites, but not, not very many varietals bloom in autumn. And so one of his amazing feats was that he hybridized both a variety called autumn colors and autumn pearl and those two varieties bloom beginning of October sometimes even late September if we're lucky if I water on time if I strategize properly but they can bloom as early as end of September beginning of October and then all have a bloom season from October all the way into the end of March which you know we cross our fingers for the end of March so there's varietals from autumn colors autumn pearl there's so many different daffodils and narcissus I think I want Want to touch a little bit on some of the different categories of narcissists and daffodils uh, because we discussed that a little bit before we started this podcast. Rochelle mentioned how, like, you think of a daffodil and you think of the, you know, single trumpet yellow flower that maybe you saw in Alice in Wonderland or something like that. And really, the world of narcissists and daffodils is incredibly diverse. There's so many different collections that you can get that are earlier blooming. They are really a crucial plant to help extend your season both early spring um, for some of those more common varieties that you can get through you know Brett, Brett and Becky's bulbs and stuff like that or even earlier some paper whites and things like that into December so if you're strategizing like optimizing seasonal growth these bulbs are an incredible outlet for that and learning about them is really crucial and important to business I think the, talking about the different varieties people the daffodil society would say that they're all daffodils my friend bill would not so there's a there's a bit of a disagreement between some of the top people in the daffodil society tazetta narcissus are part of the daffodil family but they are multiple flowers on a stem and they have fragrance a daffodil the single trumpet flower daffodil only has a single flower on a stem and doesn't have any fragrance the earlier, also earlier blooming would be Tazetta Narcissus, and later blooming would be more closely related to daffodils, which is March. For example, a more common Tazetta Narcissus would be a paper white, multiple flowers on a stem. The more common known daffodil is the King Arthur. There are so many different variations uh, within that. Chinese Sacred Lily, Double Chinese Sacred Lily. These are common varieties that you could buy online that bloom a little bit earlier. An early cheer variety, those ones are really something that keeps my farm strong throughout the years, really dependable. It divides quickly and produces a lot. So that is kind of the differentiation between different Zeta narcissus and daffodils. And there's so much variation in between. There's the pink cup daffodils, which everybody loves. And then there's the double pink cup daffodils. And then I could just get into so many different things. But really that portion of my business carries me through. All of winter, which is for a lot of farmers or flower farmers, as you know, a quiet time of the year where you're planning and strategizing for your springs and your summer crops into fall. And so, I, because of the incredible diversity of narcissists that I have on my farm, I'm able to grow year round crops. That Kind of covers. I feel like a lot of the information about daffodils and narcissus. And then, as far as my spring and summer crop, like I said, I've been trial by fire. I've done a lot of things right. I've done a lot of things wrong. I've taken some classes, like the Florette online courses. I, my mentor Jamie, who works at Mountain Oaks Farm, um, she's helped me with a lot. Basically, we we share a property, and so a lot of times I see her planting things and I'm like I should be planting that. You know so like it was re- it's really nice that I can see what she's doing and she has a lot more experience than me growing spring and summer crops. Um so she's helped me a lot with strategizing about what to and something that I have learned is like right now we're in the season of overwintering plants. So I am in in zone 7B and it is really crucial to have any spring flowers that you over winter crop so like things like ranunculas snapdragons queen anne's lace um godisha sweet peas Delphiniums, anything you want to create a deep root system that allows you to have a lot of production in the spring, you have to plant now. I didn't do that when I first started because I did not realize that that was something that you needed to do. And there was a lot of lulls where I was like, why, why do I not have anything? And um, now I realize that people might think that winter is a slowing down period, but it's actually a speeding up period because you are busy. So like right now, I am busy planting. I told you we're organizing all the bulbs from from Bill's farm. So I planted some at my sister's house. I planted some at my boyfriend's house. I've planted some at my other farm and then another farm so that I can have different niche areas that maybe will put up different bloom times. I'm also planting tulips right now. I am planting those those, uh, annual things I mentioned like Snapdragons, Godisha, Queen Anne's Lace, Uh, so many different crops, sweet peas. And that is something that has crucially taken me to having a good spring. Also, I'm learning that having an investment of bulbs spring blooming bulbs it can be expensive so like at first you're like oh my gosh do I really want to spend the money on this in reality it's something that is very reliable so like there are times for me in the winter that like certain things don't survive like this last winter a lot of like my area flooded and so a lot of those plants that I did over winter didn't make it and so having those spring bulbs as like the you know that they are gonna get through this. is uh, a little bit of peace of mind because it can be stressful. That is something that I have strategized and learned that is important for me in my area. And as far as like summer planting and things like that, I just, as soon as like February rolls around I start succession planting as as long I mean this year it was really late because of the rains I mean we were raining raining you couldn't get into the soil to plant it was just not conducive there was no oxygen so like I said there's some tough years that I feel like you really have to get creative and something that we talked about a little bit is that there's so many avenues to flower farming that you can strategize and use different sales channels, which maybe I should jump into. I wanted to discuss like the community and things like that. Something that really keeps me going is my community. I feel like We have such here in the Monterey Bay flower-minded people and who really work to support local growers and support people within their community, like a local mindset. And so that is super helpful. I'm so grateful to my community. They have helped me in so many different ways, especially in this last year that was really hard with the flooding. There was like GoFundMe. So I'm like so grateful for the people that I have met in my community. And a lot of that has come because I have been working the farmer's markets and the farmer's markets is one of my primary sales channels for selling everything because you can make wreaths you can you can be like oh my gosh that crop stunted and I don't know what to do and go to the dollar tree and get little vases and everybody's like wow what is that and like there's so many creative ways that you can go about I always joke with like my sister because she used to be an artist she still is an artist but like not for career and I say I'm an artist so like there's never really a mistake it's always just figuring out how to smudge it correctly and so there's a lot of that that happens like yeah one year a lot of things grew stunted and this was at the probably my first year growing and I was like what the heck happened it was a soil issue and I had to put everything in little jars from the dollar tree I mean I sold them at the same price as you know my regular bouquets because it came with a jar then when they were gone and I started having regular size flowers everybody at the farmer's market was so sad because they wanted the short flowers still and I was like wait no that was a mistake now you have big flowers okay I think that being able to be creative and pivoting is like just crucial in this business because there's things that are outside of our control yeah my main sales channels lately have been through the farmer's market that's my primary and then two flower shops around town they buy from me the flower shack big shout out to them they're really awesome for weddings like weddings and special events so those are my primary sales channels and I am new to the whole wedding game and learning about, like, pricing and doing all of that. Like, I love the creativity of it. I am an artist and, like, I love to be able to build these, like, beautiful different things. But, like, also strategizing, like, only using my flowers or do I buy in and, like, all this stuff as a learning process. And I feel grateful to, like, my community, like, people at the Flower shop, because they've helped tell me what is best and how to go about doing a lot of things. But a lot of... What I've done has been, you know, trial by error and like I've taken on like friends weddings first, done it at a lower cost because I'm still learning. And so and now I'm like building up my repertoire of like how to do things and feeling more confident. And it's becoming uh, one of like a better sales channel for me, which is really exciting. I feel that is a lot of what I do.
0: (laughs) That is so much, but I love what you said. It's trial by fire because really oftentimes it is. Like you can take all the courses, you can get all the advice in the world, but you really don't know until you're knee deep in it. And I loved your example of the shorter stems um, and going to the farmer's market. Oftentimes like some of those scenarios offer you an opportunity into a niche market. Like I did a farmer too. And we did these little bud vases and they were super popular, especially with all the vendors. They all wanted them on like their counters and stuff. So you don't really know until you give it a go. And it's just so exciting to hear your adventure. And I have so many questions. <laughs> what year are you on your flower farming journey? Let's start there. And this is
1: year, well, I've been working on the farm with Bill for I believe it was nine years, and then I have taken over the business for three. This is my third year. Gotcha.
0: Wrapping up my third year, going into my fourth year, I don't even know how to explain like this transition into your fourth year. It's like you've learned so much, and it's been, like you said, trial by fire, and you're just been like on this roller coaster, and you're starting to find like your niches, like you said, and your community, and really honing in on what you love, what you you're good at what you're able to sell and it's an awesome experience and with that said I am team daffodil and everybody that listens knows this so I gotta dive deep into the daffs and so yeah this is where I loved your explanation of what is a daffodil and what is a narcissi because sometimes I'll use them interchangeably so it's good to like know the definition are there any daffodils like the single flower varieties that actually do smell because some times I do find that some of them have like the slightest scent and like you said there's so many varieties out there there's probably is that cross out there but is there that extreme distinction between the narcissi and the Daffodil on the scent?
1: Yes. Yeah, so basically they cross pollinate definitely there's hybrids in between that was like the farthest distinction Narcissus have more fragrance than Daffodils. Daffodils have less fragrance some Daffodils have a little bit more fragrance because they have more of that narcissus inside in them. There's also like some daffodils that have multiple flowers on a stem but that means they've been crossed with a narcissus so they are within the same species gotcha
0: and you know we've seen you talk about year-round growing we've seen a lot of flower farmers growing like tulips for instance in crates and they're forcing the bulbs so they get an earlier bloom have you ever tried doing that with daffodils or i know like narcissi when we all go to the big box store you'll find those paper whites you know in like a jar with water but have you tried it with the daft? I haven't
1: tried it with the daftos. So many people have like suggested that I do it. You could like stratify them in like cold temperatures and like force them to bloom at different times. I think that... my hands are full, (laughs) so it's not something I've tried yet. But in the future, it could be great. (laughs)
0: Because I don't know, they're just so beautiful. Like, I like tulips. Tulips have a function for me but the daffs just are something special and beautiful. I'll never forget the time. So like we were talking about before I hit record, you know, I just started dabbling in daffs as I was, you know, starting my flower farming journey and seeing people grow these beautiful pink fluffy daffs. And I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. So, of course, I over-ordered and planted thousands of bulbs last year. And when my field popped this year, I was in heaven. It became my favorite flower, my favorite season. And the neighbors, they would drive by and be like, oh, my gosh. And then they, I just opened everybody's eyes to this beautiful flower that they traditionally thought was only yellow. And so I just think like the possibilities are endless. And as we all local growers continue to grow them, they're just going to become so popular. But I took some to the eye doctor when my daughter had an appointment and that whole office lit up. They had never seen these flowers before. They were asking me a million questions Questions. like it was hard to get to the appointment let's just put it that way and then the patients yeah. would come in and they were like what are these they're so beautiful so i'm just excited for more people to grow them the
1: daffodil and the narcissus they're just such a happy flower they're so playful and i am piggybacking off of what you said it's like they really are joyful you know i i sometimes like i'm with flowers a lot so like i'll be like that one's very serious you know like the hellebore or something thing you feel like it's like very serious flower narcissus and daffodils they just feel so playful (laughs) anyways
0: I love that analogy oh my gosh that's like a good like real the unhappy flower the serious flower the happy flower (laughs) I love it so with that said do you just sell the cut stems or do you sell the bulbs as well
1: right now I am selling the cut stems I, as I explained in the beginning, where I'm getting organized and trying to figure out what I have. And then I do want to provide a list of bulbs that I can sell to people, especially some of the really special bulbs like autumn colors and autumn pearl. I mean, that is Bill's legacy. He wanted everybody to have these flowers. And like you said, he wanted everybody to know how special they are. Uh, So in the long term, yes, I will be. At the moment, um, it's by request.
0: So we had like two frosts and it was real cold for like about a week and then it's heated up. The other day I was out planting bulbs and it was like in the 70s and I'm like sweating. And I have seen some of my dafts popping through and I actually had a customer send me a picture of one bloom yard and I was like freaked out. This does not feel okay like am i gonna lose a crap but i had never heard of dafts blooming in the fall so i think that's so incredible <laughs> to like be able to offer that as a cut flower especially in the fall your the heirloom chrysanthemums are blowing up but if you can have that diversity of blooms in the fall I just think that's so amazing
1: yeah it's great it's really incredible I, I'm curious what daffodil or narcissus is popping up for you right now do you know what variety oh gosh it is? I don't
0: know I'd have to go like follow my map but it might be some <laughs> of my early varieties but they're just like popping up through the soil but yeah we're like in october
1: they'll put up their foliage but they won't bloom a lot of times and in some cases So,
0: do you think if we do have like a warmer winter will that impact the spring crop
1: it'd probably bloom earlier or or sorry how would we say this earlier later it would bloom prior to march so like if it got really really hot it all blooms at once if it rains. So like, for example, it rains, gets cold, and then gets really hot. That is a trigger for it to think that it's spring, right? And so if you have something that's maybe like a March bloomer and it rains and then gets really, really hot consecutively, it will bloom earlier.
0: Well, like I was just picking the kids up from school the other day and there's this one tree by the school that is, especially in the spring, it's just full of birds and they're singing. And I was picking the kids up Mm -hmm. and it was singing with birds. And I'm like, oh man, (laughs) this weather is so odd. I hope that uh, we're not tricking all the flowers to bloom in January and then it snows.
1: That'll mess up your entire crop. I don't think so. The the narcissists are also, narcissidaftal is super hardy. Yes. Also, I mean, I don't, I even mentioned, but like something incredible about them, gopher proof, squirrel proof, drought tolerant, any type of soil, come up with the rain. That's something that makes my farm like very sustainable is that the narcissus, one of my primary crop in the dafto, they bloom in Well, we are consistently have been in a drought. And so they come up with the rain, they have maybe a little bit of additional water sometimes if we're not getting anything, but comparatively to other crops, they are a much sustainable crop to grow. Also, you plant them, you leave them in the ground and they bloom year after year. So unless you wanna dig them up to divide them, divide them or also sell them, you can leave them in the ground.
0: They tick all the boxes for me. And like you said earlier too, the bulbs are so reliable. Whereas if you plant cool flowers, they could die. But those bulbs, they just team die. No. Team I <laughs> Oh, my say. Well,
1: my friend, though, would say, anybody, green thumb, black thumb, we can all grow them. <laughs>
0: You know, I got such a big wholesale order of bulbs, and my customers were so in love with these daffs last season. So I was like, okay, I'm going to bring some to you so you can plant them in your yard or plant them on your front pot. You could experience that beauty in your own space, and the options are endless. And it's another source of income for me in the fall. You know, they still are going to come buy cut flowers for me, but to have them have them in their yards and on their front porches... Is just another experience to that total experience. So that's what's really cool about the yeah. DAS is they can give you fresh cuts and then you can also sell the, the bulb, whereas I'm tulips, grateful. we pull them up with the bulb and yeah. it.
1: I know, I know. Tulips are one of those hard plants where we, you love them, but like, you want to figure out a way for them to perennialize and they don't. <laughs> and you say you're in the snow, right? I was always curious, like, will they perennialize? I mean, they're a a bulb. And I know everybody pulls them up and they like, you know, they say like, no, they're not gonna perennialize. And I mean, I've tried it and it didn't work. So it didn't perennialize. And I'm like, but they're a bulb. I don't get it.
0: Even before I started doing the cut flowers as a business, I would plant tulip bulbs in my landscape. They maybe last a year or two and then they'd totally be gone. So I just, I don't know. They're just kind of not as reliable as say the DAS that are just, like you said, nothing likes to eat them. Lately, we've been getting snow in like March and April when they're like a bud and they still will get smashed down and then they pop back up and they're good to go.
1: Yeah, in a lot of different climates too. That's really important to note that they are really frost tolerant and snow tolerant and yeah, they're pretty cool. Well,
0: and I want to talk a little bit about the hybridization if you'll continue that journey. But this year I, you know, tried to sell as many stems as I could but at some point I wanted to see some of them bloom out so I could take pictures for my fall bulb sale and just have the pictures pictures some of them went to seed I was like I never experienced that before and I asked around like what do I do with these and so I've planted them (laughs) in the landscape just to see you know what happens and I'll be so stoked if they actually do something but as more flower farmers get into like the hybridization of like dahlias and zinnias and creating these new varieties which is so exciting especially for the cut flower industry I just love to know about if you'll continue with the hybridizing and maybe let's talk a little bit about growing them from seed too.
1: I definitely plan to continue with hybridizing once I get everything organized right because there's so many different varieties that choosing what you want to hybridize with you need to know what you have and so that's like my first goal to get to that that place where I'm hybridizing again. Talking about growing from seed to bulb it takes five years five to seven years from seed to bloom. Sometimes short So when you do a hybrid, basically how we did it was we would collect from a very unique variety that we thought we liked the most. Certain characteristics make it a really good flower. So we would be choosing the phenotype, which is like what it looks like on the outside. Certain characteristics, like how many flowers on a stem. So for the Narcissus, we would look for a lot of flowers on a stem because that would make it bloom longer so that was a characteristic we were looking for bigger flowers frillier flowers all of these different types of things that we want different colors and stuff like that and we would choose these characteristics and find the different crops and take the pollen from one flower and put it on the stigma of another and then close that flower off with a sachet bag so we can make sure the bees don't pollinate pollinate and we were hoping to get to the flower before the bees did so in some cases you don't get the exact cross that you were hoping to get. Also when you're pollinating good pollinating weather for the narcissus and daffodils is I believe above 65 and so it would have to be a warmer day which during the winter we know doesn't always happen so you have to be in a good area for some warmer days during that to, to get the best results from your pollination once if you have the little sachet bag on like you said after a little while you'll notice that there's these little black seeds and the cool thing about that sachet bag is the head gets heavy with the seeds and tips over into the sachet bag and the sachet bag catches all the seeds and what we would do we, we would flag that variety and say what we crossed it with and then later we'd collect the seeds and we'd know what we had so it was really funny because when bill was around you'd go out to the farm and you'd expect flowers but there were sachets bags over all of these flowers heads and like flags everywhere and you're like what in the world is happening out here it looked crazy out there because there were like certain picking areas certain hybridizing areas so that was really funny it was a sight to see for sure you think you're going to a daffodil farm and you're like what is happening and then once you collect the seeds you you pot them up so basically we would just use the five gallon pots put them in with a layer of mulch on top so that the seeds can stay warm and then water once a week then keep them in in those pots for years that's how he would know where his selection of crops were they were all in those five gallon pots that's how he would hybridize exciting
0: well I can't wait to see your journey and see what you've got planned for <laughs> hybridization and I'll definitely be following along because I just think it's so cool that you can create this brand new flower and sometimes it's a complete magic and I think the daffs are just so beautiful so I'll stop geeking out about daffs, and we can talk more about the other flowers but I just Everybody knows I am Team Daff and Team Lysianthus, so love yeah. to geek out on those topics. Do you mainly grow in your field or do you have covered space? So you're doing this year round, and I've heard we a lot, but sometimes we like to say we, but it's the magical me. So do you actually have a team I actually
1: say this really often. I say we. It's the royal we, me, meaning me, and I do a lot of things by myself in fact I have one other person who comes and helps me and that's it it's me (laughs) I shouldn't say that because I do have a team of marketeers that go and help me sell at the market and that's really the we but as far as like the farming stuff goes that's me
0: I mean to do it all it's so much work, especially the markets. Like, I uh, dabbled in a few and was like, ah, this is not for me because it's the royal me, having somebody to help you with the markets can be very helpful. Are you growing mainly in the field or do you have a greenhouse or high tunnel that you grow in as well? I grow
1: everything outdoors and I haven't experimented with, you know, the tunnels yet. I know that they're really useful and I want to use them. I just not, I haven't gotten around to it. Um, so everything I grow is just outdoors in the field, except for my seedlings, which I grow in a greenhouse. <laughs>
0: I love it. And I I grow mainly outside in the field as well. So I like to hear the experiences. What is your growing conditions like? I think California, sunny beaches, but let's hear the reality from you.
1: It's funny. I mean, as you said at the very beginning, I'm in the Monterey Bay. My farm is called Flowers at the Sea. So I can see the ocean from my farm. I am out of moss landing. Moss Landing has a really niche microclimate. It's different than Santa Cruz. It's different than Carmel. It's different than Monterey. Moss landing in the summer can be pretty foggy, which challenges me. For those heat-loving plants like dahlias and zinnias and even Lysianthus, I can have a difficult time growing because of that fog, but it has been getting warmer and warmer, as we know, and so I can still grow them, but sometimes my production is a little bit lower. Yeah, and besides that, it's a very temperate climate. I mean, we do get freezes, but they're moderate freezes. Nothing that causes snow ever. And the biggest thing, the biggest challenge that really I've been faced with was the flooding that happened last year because my farm is uh, in Moss Landing, which was one of the places that experienced the most flooding in California. One of the reasons why why they like. Put a, you didn't have to pay your taxes in California f- until you, later because we had that disaster flooding and I was in that area. That was really tough for me growing at that time. I mean, I remember also like that is my biggest season. Narcissus and Daftal season is one of my biggest seasons. So I pick rain or shine. I go to the farmer's market, rain or shine. And during that time, I remember this Brutal day that I was out there and it was raining so hard that I felt like I was being pelted down by the rain and I was like this is crazy because like I've mentioned like we struggle with drought we struggle with like we've been struggling with these intense rains now but yeah California and the drought has been a thing everything was blooming early like you talked about there was a lot of heat so it kind of fluctuates from year to year and every year there's a new set of challenges that you have to adapt to but mostly it's a temperate climate.
0: So with the flooding, did you lose, like, did it damage your bulbs um, or were they able to kind of rebound? Like, what was kind of the long-term damage from the flooding?
1: Bulbs are not damaged, but the flower crop was damaged. So because the rains were so hard, when your flower is blooming in that sort of rain, they get pelted down to the ground and into the mud. And so basically all the flowers were muddy and torn and like not looking that great until we got into some spring flowers but like my winter crop was just not at the capacity as it like normally is but the bulbs were fine i mean i've planted the well bill and i planted the bulbs on along a lot of hills because they can deal with slopes and all of that stuff a lot more than our other crops that we gotta till under and plant every year so they weren't in the flooded area as much there were some, but they, they're they fine. It was just mostly flower production that was affected this last year.
0: And what type of pest are you faced with? It's always weather and pests is all we love to talk about as farmers. <laughs> I
1: am so challenged by slugs and snails. In every season, it can be wet in moss landing with the fog and all that stuff so they really love it there. I've tried like little snail like trays out in the field, like in holes and it's just like they're incessant. I mean, I think maybe that's a big challenge for every farmer, but like man, me and the snails, I I have a story. I feel horrible, but since we're talking to the farming community, it feels fine to say, but like I brought bunch of flowers to the flower shop and dropped it off with one of the girls and there was a snail on one of the flowers and my instinct is smush the snail like that's what I do out in the field and so I just grabbed the snail and right in front of her smushed it and she was mortified at me she was looking at me like how do you and I was like oh my god I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm a farmer (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, farmer's market, I always say snails are safe once they make it to the farmer's market. Otherwise, they're not safe. Another cucumber beetle is a huge pest on my farm with the dahlias. I'm not technically an organic farm. I don't have my certifications, but I use Omri approved like baiting and all of that stuff. I don't use any like any non-organic stuff on my flowers. It's just because that scares me in general to use myself. So like as far as pests and those sort of things, I mean, the biggest thing is like the cucumber beetle and slugs for me.
0: I love the slug story. I th- I've spent many a night out with a headlamp and uh, some scissors. I know a lot of farmers have ducks, but I have so much wildlife that I don't think they would survive. I would just end up with no ducks. Like
1: a cost to benefit like many snails would they get to <laughs> survival
0: i hope everybody's getting a chuckle out of this because it may this makes my heart sing so i love having this conversation <laughs> friend you're going into your fourth year of flower farming and i would just love to hear like what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned through this whole journey your journey with bill which i mean is extensive yes. and i'm so jealous like oh what an opportunity but inheriting this farm and just this journey now that is probably going to be a lot for you, but any lessons you'd like to share with our audience?
1: That's such a good question. Don't be afraid to ask for help is a big lesson. Everybody is learning. Everybody is trialing things. And so, the faster you can get connected with your community to brainstorm and tell them about your woes and strategize, the quicker and the easier it will be to adapt and learn from your mistakes. I think. Don't be afraid of mistakes. That's another thing. I feel like everybody's going to kill plants. That's something I've learned. I would like cry because I felt like I was a bad mother or something, you know, if I like didn't like forgot to weed an area. But the thing is, is that there are certain things that are out of your control and it's best to just pivot and try again and keep trying because you'll find things that really do work and you'll be like, oh my God, I have to grow that every year.
0: (laughs) I love that bit of advice, pivot and try again. That's perfect. So I haven't asked you the famous question of what is your favorite flower and what are those that you would fire?
1: My favorite flower is actually a flower that was named after me by Bill. It's called Casey's Kiss. It's like a cross between a daffodil and a narcissus. Called it a matador hybrid. So that is my favorite flower. It kind of looks like Uh, Tahiti, which if anybody knows daffodils, tahitis are yellow with the like kind of bright red center mine is like all white with a bright red center like double and so that is one of my favorite flowers also i'm gonna do two the leopard lily the california native leopard lily because i am uh you know my roots are in native plant restoration so gotta throw out a native there but yeah those would be my favorite flowers
0: okay casey you need to continue to expand your collection of Casey's Kiss and sell them because I want one so (laughs) you get working on that
1: yeah I'm working on it I am and we could be in contact I gotta get you some autumn
0: colors or something for sure but I think this is the future especially for local flower farmers it doesn't end with cut flowers it's also you know you're breeding such an incredible unique flower like sell those bulbs get them out in the world I mean Florette's a perfect example of that is she spread the seed and oh my gosh we've got meadows across the world thanks to her so I know it's pretty incredible so Casey let's see some daft meadows all over the world
1: some things that I would cut from the farm I grew a steel bee and i know that some people love it but for me it just does not produce that many stems and i spend a lot of money on it and then i got first off it took many years to grow like two years to get like maybe three stems and I'm like this is like way too much like input for output and like I'm hoping that in the future it gives me more production but for right now I'm not planting anymore
0: of it oh my gosh usually people say bachelor buttons but that's the perfect one I have struggled so much with the still bee. like I'm so mad at it I love that you just (laughs) said that because it really is very picky like where it wants to be and how successful it's gonna be and I have deer and the deer just ate most of it for me
1: bachelor buttons are like a no-brainer every year plant bachelor buttons I mean cooks want them like at least for me I I
0: think that they just get so overwhelming to harvest they
1: are very annoying to harvest
0: well friend oh my gosh I could talk to you for hours like this has been such a great conversation (laughs) but I also want to honor your time. I know you're so, so super busy. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd love to touch on before we round out this conversation?
1: Yes, I did want to mention one thing. I'm actually starting another farm, like towards Davenport area, and it's called Flip Flop Farms. So if anybody's interested in that journey um I just wanted to put that out there because that area is something I'm like really passionate about right now. It's in an area surrounded by organic farmers and that will be in a certified organic farm and we'll be doing more than just flower growing. We're going to do vegetable growing and fruits and things like that, but The intention behind it is a regenerative farm, following those sorts of practices. And we want to get the community out learning about farming. So with the school and um, we're working with uh, the NRCS, which is the National... Uh, Natural Resource Conservation Society. We just got a $57,000 grant to incorporate native crop and the native ecosystem within our farm. Because of my roots in conservation and native plant biology, uh, that's something I'm super excited about. And there's a lot that's going to happen there. And so um, if anybody's interested in following that journey, we have an Instagram, but we're just getting started. So we're at the beginning.
0: That's so exciting. I come from a family that's been farming for multiple generations and most of it's been conventional farming and when I really got serious about flower farming and I was Doing all the research, regenerative farming just struck my soul in a way that I have shifted the minds of many of my conventional farming friends to the broader ecosystem and the soil. And, you know, I'm on my no-till regenerative journey now, three years. And especially this last year, it just makes me want to cry how exciting it was to see the bumblebees, the endless amounts of species. Of birds and it and they all were working oh in harmony I saw all my beneficial insects were coming in and they'd kill those aphids and all the crappy bugs and yeah I still had those that you know ruined all the white dahlias but it's uh, that's one out of two so I'm so excited for you
1: thank you yeah that's really awesome to hear your journey with that because it's a journey but it's it's an important one and I think it's like I have some business partners up there so it's also exciting to not have to do everything by myself I feel like a lot more can get done and so I'm excited to see where that uh, takes me and and how I can incorporate some of my uh, knowledge with ecosystems and stuff back into my farming practices so
0: for sure so I mean geez that's a great opportunity but how are you going to manage it all and you know do you get time away to take a break
1: it's a really great question because i'm a super passionate person as you probably tell but like and and i'm a yes person especially when it comes to my passions so right now i am working like you know seven days a week and i don't have a lot of time off and there is like a drawback to like feeling a little bit burnt out but that is not the end goal up there Because I have a couple business partners, once that gets established, I am hoping to like pivot a little bit. Maybe even like minimize some of the production at Flowers at the Sea. Just like I'm in five farmers' markets a week. So I'm in a high production area of that farm. And so I can just like pull that back a little bit. So we're working on balance, but yeah, that's a good
0: question. It is a constant balance. Yeah, like you said, being passionate about what you're doing. And I am so excited, Casey, to watch your growth and where you're going to go from here and just really proud of you for all that you've done too so if nobody's told you that I'm telling you that right now good job girl that means a lot to me Instagram does not really fully translate (laughs) how much work and stress and sacrifice that comes with all those beautiful pictures friends (laughs) I just am so appreciative of Casey in this conversation I really wish I could talk to her more because we may have to do an update episode because I am just Oh, I could ask so many more questions, but Casey, where can folks find you for inspiration or if they're local and want to purchase your blooms, how do they find you? Well,
1: I have a website, flowersatthesea.com. You can find me on there. It gives you just access to my schedule, like what farmer's markets I'm at every week and the times that I'm there. And then also if you're looking for weddings and special events, there's a form you can fill out and... If you don't know the answers to the questions, just put zero in there and be like, let's make a phone call. I'm happy with that. And then also on my Instagram, which is flowers, uh, it's just at flowers at the sea or my email, flowersatthesea.com. So that's how you could get a hold of me. And I'm always happy to talk about flowers and I appreciate being connected, so Anybody who wants to talk to me about flowers, bring it on.
0: (laughs) Well, and we also must follow her journey at Foot Flop Farm. So I will do that after we get off this call because I can't wait to see your evolution. Well, friend, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I just really appreciate you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Rochelle. It was so nice chatting and I appreciate you inviting me.
0: I just want to say thank you again to Casey for spending this time with me and just talking so much about DAFs and just her journey with flowers. Each one of these conversations I get so excited about because it is like we're coloring the world with our flowers and our own touch on flower farming and floristry, and really educating the population on all of these beautiful flowers that we're growing and in some cases hybridizing. I have been so inspired by those that are hybridizing dahlias and selling their seeds as well as zinnias and now let's Hybridize some daffs. I think it's just so cool to be able to create this new beautiful flower right here in our own little flower farms, and not only raising and selling local blooms, but selling the seeds and the bulbs and all the things that we've created. It's magical to think about the future of local cut flowers. So thank you again, Casey, for such a great conversation. Something that I absolutely loved with Casey he said is don't be afraid to make mistakes pivot and try again and keep trying when Bill bred all of his beautiful creations do you think he got it right the first time? no he kept trying and trying and trying and he learned in the whole process and that's what I just encourage each and every one of you to do don't get stuck in this analysis paralysis just try it don't get stuck in well this person said to do it this way and I gotta be Profitable, so I got to do it this way. Just try it. Let it all go and give it a try and see what you learn from it. So thank you again, friends, for being here, supporting the podcast. Thank you, Casey, for a great conversation. And if you guys want to continue to support me in this endeavor and getting these conversations out there, you value my time. The information is in the show notes of how you can donate to the podcast. And any little contribution, no matter the amount, means so much to me and I really appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you all are doing well and take care and we'll chat next time. Well that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation and together All boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.